Personal Finance brought to you by IG Markets. IG Markets South Africa is an authorized financial services provider. CFD losses can exceed your deposits. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital, where he is an executive director. He also spends time advising people directly. He is a personal financial di- uh, advisor. Before we talk about the big topic, which is shares and buying shares, no matter what the price is, Warren, uh, a question from Roberta saying, I own shares in the USA via this is important, I think, the Easy Equities app. When I sell these shares, I assume there is capital gains tax. Do I need to submit a tax return in the USA for those capital gains, or is it calculated automatically? It's a lovely question, uh, Roberto Center. So I think um, always with tax, uh, you know, you know take, take what Warren says advisedly, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm by no means a tax uh, guru. But my understanding, Bruce, is that um, because we have double taxation agreements with the U.S., uh, and that that means that if we're liable for for taxes on uh, on a tax in South Africa and in America, but the taxes in South Africa are higher, then then firstly we don't need to pay the taxes in America, and uh, and and then secondly, in this instance. Uh, b- because it's running through easy equities, uh, the, the capital gains tax, in my view, will be paid in South Africa to to SARS, and the, and then not to to the to the US. So I, I don't think Roberto has to register for for tax in America at all. Uh, but just just kind of two main comments. One, you just know that when when your investment gets over sixty thousand dollars in size. Uh, and you've got American listed investments, in other words, a share in America or an exchange traded fund, and you pass away, then, then you are liable for estate duty in America, and no, no, no matter the fact that you're a South African. So, so that's the one that concerns me more. But capital gains tax, I don't think so. And then just remember, you can make 40,000 rands worth of profit every year before you start paying capital gains tax. Okay, and it also depends on where the money is domiciled. If you take money, um, rands, and you buy dollars, and you go and buy directly on the New York Stock Exchange, that money and those shares are domiciled in the United States. Therefore, the tax surely would be, liability would be there. If you're buying via a South African platform, I can't see why you would have to pay tax elsewhere. So, so it's uh, the, the, so because we are a residence-based tax system, uh, the, the starting point is that that where we live is the, is the most important thing. But okay. um, w- when you get to to uh, especially things like death duties more so than capital gains tax, Bruce, th- then uh, th- then it's actually where the actual investment itself is listed. So so using your example, where you're buying it through a South African nominee company, but uh, but, but actually the share is listed on the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq, th- th- then there's every chance that you're liable for for death duties in America. Okay. All right. No, no, I think I've, I think I've got you on that one, Warren. Thank you for that one. Um, okay. Can you just ignore the price and buy shares? Sounds like a mad idea, but I'm curious to hear the arguments. So I think it's, it's, it's probably two, two parts to the answer. I can, you know, I can never just give you one straight, you know, straight yes or no, that would be very boring. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think the, the starting point is uh, we obsess, all of us, uh, it doesn't matter who we are and unless we're robots or psychopaths, we spend far too much time worrying about prices of, of our investments, about getting in, when do we get in, you know, the, the prices are rising too fast, shouldn't we get out? 
and, you know, and, and that applies to shares. And then if you look at you know exchange rates, the same thing. We spend so much time and energy uh, on on prices, and and what we know is that all that energy and effort that we put into you know trying to understand when we should buy, when we should sell, you know, and predicting or forecasting to to give it a, a more uh, you know kind of a nicer color of paint. Uh, um, you, you get to the point where you realize you actually can't do it. And, and all that's going to happen is you're always going to be perfectly wrong. You, you might be sometimes reasonably right, but, but you're always going to be, you're never going to hit it uh, correctly. And the problem with, with the argument around shares then in particular is, you know, we, we need to understand how do we get real growth from shares over long periods of time? And, and real growth is industry jargon. What it means is how much growth do you get above inflation? And that's really for me why we invest our money is we want to get proper capital growth over long periods of time that protect us against inflation so that our money is growing faster than the cost of living is is, is growing and in that instance it, it's important to understand that one of the big keys to 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 getting that real growth is earning dividends from shares and getting those dividends reinvested you know year after year after year and and allowing those dividends to grow as well and, and I think that, you know, if we're sitting there worrying about the price, what we're doing is in, you know, in the interim, we're, we're sitting on cash. Cash doesn't pay dividends. Cash doesn't grow at a rate faster than inflation. So now we're missing out on one of the cornerstones of, of getting stock market growth is, you know, we're, we're just not there. We're not getting the dividends. We're waiting for the price. And, and that can be really painful. You know, so, so there's an awesome study done by Yale University and, and, you know, what they looked at was, you know, how much of this uh, growth that you get from the real growth that you get from shares over long periods of time, how much of it comes from earning dividends and then importantly reinvesting those dividends. And it's going to be somewhere in the region of half of your return will come from reinvesting dividends if you're investing for periods, let's say, 20 years. And it goes up to 80% of your growth if you're investing for longer periods. And longer periods, for example, 40 years might sound ridiculous, but actually, you know, when we start out our investment career, most of us probably do it around about the age of 25, uh, you know, and we do it with small amounts of money, but, but actually most of us will invest for at least 40 years. So, so 40 years is a, re a really relevant period. And if you're spending all of that time, you know, sitting on the sidelines, you know, hesitating, not committing money to shares, then what happens is you're missing out on the real engine of growth. You're actually, you know, you've got this wonderful car and you've, you know, you've taken the engine out and you've, you know, you left it outside and it's it's busy getting rusted and, and falling away. So so my view is if you can't make this call on on you know when to invest, th th then the answer is ignore the price. Don't, don't make that decision. It's take take it out of your whole framework and, and just ignore it altogether. In other words, you know, if you've got a lump sum of money and you're, you're fortunate to, to have earned you know, some kind of a bonus or you've got a cash amount to invest, then you know, take six months and, and, and take that, that amount of money, divide it into six and, and invest it in the, in the stock market in six equal amounts over that uh, six-month period. And don't worry about what the price is doing. You know, pick a day. Say it's the first Monday of every month. I'm just going to buy and I'm going to close my eyes. And if you're doing a debit order, then please don't worry about the price. In fact, just you know, don't, don't look at anything got to do with the, the price of your investments because over short periods of time, they're, they're completely irrelevant. All they're going to do is give you a stomach ulcer and maybe force you to make the wrong decision because you decide not to invest while you wait for things to happen. Whatever those things are, you're not going to get them right. You're not going to predict them. Uh, and, and you're losing out on those dividends that are growing and growing and growing on themselves. Somebody far with far more experience than you and I, 
somebody who's been in investment markets for eight, nine and a half decades probably is Warren Buffett. Price is what you pay value is what you get and Warren Buffett's very determined to buy pay the cheapest possible price he can and to hold for the longest period he can because that gives you the very best return um, and in particular with large capital amounts I, I would argue that you're looking for value the whole time and you want to get the shares at the best price but when it comes down to the habit of investing I couldn't agree with you more and that is it, it doesn't matter what the price is. Just make sure that you're buying something each and every single month. Don't second guess the price because then you sit on the sidelines. And then um, as prices start going down, you don't buy either because you're not in the habit of buying. Uh, and therefore, you know, you, you lose out on the opportunities of pullbacks and corrections in markets too. Absolutely. And, and you know, if we, if, uh, if we look at Warren Buffett, uh, I mean, as, as a great example, when, when he looks at that that price versus value conversation uh you know you know he's he's usually buying you know almost an entire business or you know he's buying something that, that maybe the rest of us wouldn't necessarily look at and and he's done a calculation or well, nowadays i guess his team has done a calculation uh, to to determine what that value is but but you know firstly warren's a really smart guy and 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 secondly uh you know kind of a unique talent i guess in in the world of investments for the rest of us we probably don't have that ability. We don't have a team like he has. You know, he, he can call on Charlie Munger, you know, who I think is one of the great brains of all time, uh, to to kind of help him think things through. You know, if it's you know just me and my my two dogs, you know, I'm, I don't have that ability. And so for me, I'm not going to worry too much about uh, about the price, even if markets are expensive. You know, and I think it's so irrelevant now. You know, when we're looking at the, the U.S. and you know people are saying, "Gee, tech market is so expensive," and you know the, the American stock market's been running. It has. I'm not not discounting that, but but what I don't know, and no one knows, is it could carry on running for three years. It, it could fall over tomorrow. But what I do know is, if I have a lump sum and I feed it in over time, the, the the impact of that fall might be mitigated. And and whenever you do phasing in over a longish period of time, like six months or twelve months, the the chances that you have a permanent loss of capital is very small when, when you're buying, you know, the broader stock market. Of of course, you could buy one share and and be horribly wrong, and, and then you know, you focus like Warren Buffett does if that's what you want to do. But if you're doing a lot of investments in shares, lots of diversification, truthfully, I think you can ignore the price and, and you will be better off in 99 out of every 100 times. And you'll certainly be, be better off than the people that are sitting on the sidelines you know, with their money in the bank going, well, I'll wait for everything to get better because, you know, the, the bell doesn't ring to tell you that everything's better and now's the time to buy. Most certainly not. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital, financial advisor. Uh, he helps us on a Thursday night understand money and markets. From Jen this evening, a question, Warren. I will fortunately be receiving a 13th check in December. What's a 13th check? They're only 12 months. You get an extra check. That's amazing. Uh, I am at an age where I cannot afford to make poor financial decisions. Do you have any tips as to how I can use this 13th check wisely? Perfect question, Jen. Asked will be answered in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Jen is one of the privileged few who will be getting a 13th check in December, but Jen uh, wisely does not want to mess up this 13th check. Jen wants to put this 13th check to the best possible use that she can. How can she use it wisely other than buy cases of wine delivered to Warren and Bruce's house, of course, um, which is a fabulously good idea, um, but not in her best interest. So help me out here, Warren. Well, I, I, I think it might be in her best interest. You never know. Uh, 
I, I, I think um, so, so. A couple of things. Firstly, Jen, if you've got, you know, if you've got any kind of uh, what I call bad debt, in other words, credit cards, uh, personal loans, overdrafts, uh, store card debt, anything like that, th th then that's a great place for your thirteenth check to go. Because you know that debt, although interest rates are low now, that's really expensive debt, and and just really you know to me a weapon of wealth destruction. So so that I know it's boring to tell you, and you know it's it's it is good common sense and and not exciting, but certainly the best thing that anybody could do if they if they get a thirteenth check. If you're in the fortunate position where you don't have that kind of debt, uh, and, and let's say you've got you know uh, a car that you're financing or a you know a home loan then you know maybe take a portion of the money and and put it in there just be careful that the car finance people don't charge you a penalty for paying extra money into your car finance but if they don't then you know maybe put a bit extra in and then by all means set aside some of that money to to spoil yourself as well and and then you know if you don't have any of those debts uh then you know i think investing that money um you know you said you feel like you're at an age where you can't afford to make poor decisions. I'm guessing that's all of us at any age, but 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 definitely, you know, make sure you've got an emergency fund. So so that um, you know that should be three to six months worth of your expenses. And and if you've got that already, then invest it in in a in a broad stock market index would be my view. You know, maybe split equally between the South African stock market and the global market. But but that should be the last step. You know, make sure you've done the debt, you've got the emergency fund. And and then you know start your investment uh, career and to me, brilliant gift to yourself. What a lovely idea! I mean, it really is, and it's that getting rid of the nasty debt, getting rid of the stuff that sort of uh, gnaws at your conscience in the middle of the night, the stuff that is generating an interest rate far higher than anything else that you could afford to, uh, where, where anything else you could possibly earn. Um, what is leverage, Warren, as we go into the closing stages of tonight's discussion? Um, a phrase of the week, leverage is something that is very 2008. Is it still around? It is around and, and it, it has a, it does, it, it's about debt in, in, in short, uh, you know, the short answer is it's debt, but it, it's it's very much related to either company. So so when you look at a, um, you know, uh, an investment company or, a, you know, any company listed on the stock exchange or any private company, uh, leverage refers to how much debt they've got. And the reason why we give it a different name is because it's usually debt that you take on to buy assets that you hope will grow, uh, grow with value or grow in value over time. You know, so so often you know, you might buy um, you know new machinery if you're a manufacturing business because you've got more orders and you don't have the cash to buy those machines. So you go and borrow the money, uh, and and then you buy those machines and you hope that you're you're growing your revenue faster. And that would be leverage. You know, or a or a big property company. Uh, I don't know if they they are they are able to borrow any more at the moment. I think they're probably struggling. But you know, if they wanted to to expand their building and get new tenants, then they would borrow money and that would be that would be considered leverage. It can relate to an individual as well. So, you know, if we borrowed money to to make investments, you know, and, and I shudder when when people do that, but there are people that do that, then that would also be called uh, leverage. So, so different from our credit cards and personal loans and stuff, which is more uh, personal debt uh, and usually for consumption. But, uh, but but leverage is borrowing money to get productive assets that you hope will grow over time. What I can say is, like any tool, you know, you, you, you can you can use it to help you or you can use it to, to harm yourself. So just be really careful. Make sure you know what you're doing if you're going to use leverage.
Okay, thank you, Warren Ingram. Warren is an executive director at Galileo Capital. He is a personal financial advisor. He joins us every Thursday night, and we talk about money and investments. And uh, you can catch him, of course, as on our podcasts, as you can every other interview that we do on the Money Show each and every single day.